you're listening to the GF Jenna podcast with your host, Jenna Mack. This show is all about celiac disease and living a gluten-free life. Has celiac disease affected your lifestyle? Well, on this week's episode, that's exactly what we will be talking about. You will learn how to live with your gluten-free diet with diagnosed celiacs, Jamie and Dan Mack. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder that's triggered when you eat gluten. Gluten is a protein and can be found in wheat, rye, barley, and other grains. I was diagnosed with celiac disease when I was two years old. Celiac disease tends to run in the family as it is hereditary. Along with me, my brother and father have been diagnosed with celiac disease. So let's chat with them now. In the studio, we have Dan Mack, my brother, and Jamie Mack, my dad. Guys, I'm glad this worked out and we can all have a conversation on how everyday life is affected by having celiac disease. Dad, you're a biochemist. Is there anything you want to say about celiac disease before we start? Well, hello, everyone. Um, I think the um, scientific community is doing a lot of things to further advances with understanding celiac disease, but in reality, um, I think ultimately the disease will be cured by some sort of genetic engineering or modulation of the immune system. That's a long ways off. And um, this is like one thing that I think we've all said that if there's one disease to have, it would be celiac disease because the once you take out the um, irritant, which is um, gluten, you're basically 100% cured. So it's an easy fix. I mean, there's there's a learning curve to the diet and everything. But after that, and if you just avoid that, then in the future, you're pretty much cured. But there's that holy grail out there of saying that, hey, I want to be normal. I can eat any food I want. Um, unfortunately, our understanding of the immune system and how to alter it in a way that can successfully do it long term, I think is well off in the future. But there's a lot of great scientists that are studying it and getting into the details of how we might be able to achieve that. I guess in addition to that, just like in a general sense, I wanted to say that <clears throat> I'm a proponent of um, advocating for, um, you're the greatest advocate, the individual for your health. Um, so there's two things that go along with um, allowing that to help you out. And that would be basically just listening to your body and not holding diet as like an ideology. What I mean by that is that there's a lot of great diets out there. Everyone can go um, to the bookstore or look up a fad diet or a, a very sound diet. And you might say like, hey, it's eating plants or it's eating meat. Um, it's like, well, I mean, these are extremes. Um, now we're all individuals and basically that diet is good for someone. The question is what's the greatest diet or what's the best diet for you? And that's where it comes to just simply the human body is amazing. If you listen to it, it's going to give you signs. It's going to tell you the answers. And that's kind of like how it is with celiac disease. Um, you know, way back when, before there was much science out there, people would just say like, hey, I wasn't eating wheat and this person got better. So that's kind of the, the thought with that. Always just um, take your diet as what's best for you and the easiest way. 
is honestly just listening to this, the signals your body is giving, giving you. So. Yeah, that's great general advice. I've definitely had to develop that ability with having celiac disease, whether that be eating out at restaurants or trying new foods. Now, what age were you diagnosed? I think it was in 2007. You were a little over two, and um, I was 32 at the time. And I remember vividly because you had a tough summer with some of the symptoms of the disease, and that was in the fall. Um, I was doing an Ironman. So I was in, um, I like doing physical fitness as a hobby, and I had done some weightlifting, and then I had switched to triathlon for, for, four years previous to that, leading up to this Ironman. <clears throat> and then uh, it was in w Madison, Wisconsin, and mom called us, uh, called me and said, I guess what, we finally figured out what was um, ailing you, or there was a, you know, a potential diagnosis, and we were just concerned because we didn't know what was going on. And I'm like, whoa, um, <laughs> celiac disease, and then that kind of led to, you know, you getting tested and confirming it um, through a few more tests. And then the rest of the family also had to be tested. And I think um, Dan was next in line with getting the official result. And then about six months later after that, um, so that would have been putting it into two, you know, 2008, um, close to 33 years old that I was officially diagnosed. And uh, Yeah, and then after that, it's just kind of like we, we've been living that lifestyle. So it's, it was challenging at first, but now it's it's just it's like second nature. But there's a lot to it to, you know, ramp up the, or the learning curve. So. Yeah. Um, so you were diagnosed later in your life, unlike Dan and I. And most yeah. individuals find that changing lifelong eating habits mm -hmm. and adapting to a gluten-free diet is a major challenge. Right. For a number of different reasons, as wheat is a basis for a wide variety mm -hmm. of foods. Um, did you find it difficult after years of eating gluten to give it up? Hey, you brought up a good point. I was diagnosed later, uh, you know, middle age. And the reality is, is that most people, the average age of diagnosis for people with celiac disease is 40 years old. Um, and that is after maybe struggling or not knowing exactly what's, you know, going on with your body for maybe a decade. Um, it's very difficult to diagnose because there's these symptoms of like, oh, I get a stomach ache, every, something that's not really um, straightforward where you, you, can, you can pin it down saying like, oh, I ate this and then I have that. So if that happens to you, then obviously it's an easier chance of diagnosis, but many people just kind of go on for a long time before they come around to like realizing it, it's wheat and having celiac disease. Um, going to your question though, um, I did, I had concerns. I, <laughs> my main thing was bread. Um, you know, I am a, a volume eater. I love to eat, I love to eat everything. And, and especially when you go out to a restaurant, um, I was always looking forward to the bread. It's like, bring me the appetizer, bread, give me the second on bread, third on bread. It's like, it's just like um, I would eat, you know, maybe a whole loaf of bread um, you know, when I was doing more physical activity, um, 
I love morning cereal and all that kind of stuff. So my concern was bread. And all honestly, though, it's like once I had that diagnosis and then knowing, you know, I had that last binge weekend where I said like, oh, my favorite foods, pizza or whatever. It's like, then I'm going to go on the diet. And then I did say at the time saying like, well, you know, I got to keep it open saying at Thanksgiving or something, I, I might have a piece of bread or something. That said, I, I have not done that. I basically, once I switched to the diet, um, one of the interesting or the time period now that um, people, um, well, 10 years ago when we were di- or diagnosed 10, 15 years ago, the diet had already with food technology and you know the food scientists trying to make good tasting food and this and that. And there was enough other groups like people with um, autism or certain diet needs where they just wanted to eat wheat free, not necessarily because they had celiac disease, but they thought it would lend itself to being um, helping their, their overall well-being. Um, that spurred the industry, the food industry to come up with some alternatives. Um, so I haven't felt deprived. I, I don't know if you've, um, I mean, you don't have anything to relate to, but honestly, um, bread initially, like 10, 15 years ago, um, some of the flours they used didn't make, you know, the greatest bread. That's the one wild card with celiac disease. Um, but they've gotten a lot better with flour combinations. Um, and it, it does a pretty good job. So it, it's enough where, um, I haven't felt tempted. Um, even though it's not quite the same bread, um, wheat bread versus, um, gluten-free bread. That's the one thing I won't give someone <laughs> who's not celiac disease. You know, it's, there's a lot of other things that you might try. Um, and they're saying like, oh, wow, this is not that bad. So I've been pretty good, surprisingly. I, I didn't think that was going to be the case initially, but um, I, I have a pretty long track record and I don't feel like it's going to change anything. Now that you've been living with celiac disease for some years now, and it seems that you don't have the temptation for foods like the bread and cereals, um, but I bet it was different in the beginning. Um, So how drastically do you think, or not, do you think it changed your life and diet? Yeah, I have a couple of things with that. Um, One is that, I mean, from an internal perspective, I mean, there's some very obvious things. Um, so the, you know, in the main thing that I had was like indigestion, um, and like a bloating feel feeling, um, from eating certain foods. Now at the time it was just kind of like, um, you know, you mix that again, I was in before, like why people take so long to get diagnosed is that a lot of times people eat certain foods and certain combinations where, you know, it's not, it's not the best for you. And you're just kind of like, okay, well, I'll feel better in a couple hours or so. Um, but you can get very used to that and then putting up with it. I kind of equate it to like a a frog in boiling water. It's like frog in boiling water. If you eat something really bad, then you're going to get an immediate reaction. Otherwise you can, a low grade pain or a low grade disturbance in your body. Um, you can kind of get sensitized to that and then, kind of just basically say, this is the normal me and live with it, even though it might be something that you, you should, should change. So you can like ameliorate that. Um, 
So the digestive issues cleared up right away that I had. Now, the other side of that was like sometimes things that you're not aware of, like that are best observed by loved ones or people close to you, your friends and family. So um, I didn't really know this, but like mom said that, um, and I can kind of see it now where she goes, man, you were so tired all the time. And I guess she was right because I would sometimes come home from work and, you know, just take a, a two hour nap and then, or like eat dinner, take like a two, three hour nap, wake up, do a few things or whatever. And that, that was like normal. Um, and I'm like, whoa, I guess that, that was a little weird. So it was something that, um, so that the tiredness and that has gotten better. Um, and then she also maybe being a little bit more short tempered. So, um, quick trigger or whatever. And that's another thing mom has said like, Oh yeah, you're much more, uh, um, even tempered or so. Yeah. Those, those are two things that have probably changed the most. And then obviously the, the one that I'm aware of, like with not getting like a upset stomach or, um, intestinal cramps and stuff like that after certain food combinations, which obviously were related to, um, gluten. So. And even with the challenges, um, before you were diagnosed with celiac disease, I bet you felt much better after you were diagnosed. Uh, do you want to talk about that and the time period leading up to your diagnosis? Yeah, we, um, we spoke briefly about, or we, we mentioned that I was actually leading up to the Ironman with, um, you being diagnosed and then the rest of the family or Dan and me. Um, so again, this was a time where I was actually one of the fittest times of my life. So, um, that's the other interesting thing about, or part of celiac disease is that sometimes people can, the manifestation of it is that they call it silent celiac or the mm -hmm. symptoms are so benign so beneath the radar that you can still like do amazing things and maybe you could do even more amazing things but you're just not aware of it so you know all the other good things i was doing at the time with training and and pain tolerance and all that kind of stuff so um that was probably not like a bad time as far as um how i felt necessarily but I can give examples of two other times now looking in hindsight of knowing that, wow, I definitely had this disease happening earlier in my life. So I think the worst or the first manifestations of that was when I was in high school. Um, my parents, and again, this goes to why I said, like, don't be ideological with your diet because um, my dad, he, he loved his um, special whole grain fiber toast. Um, <laughs> And it did, it tasted great. And I would eat, you know, a lot of it. And that was caused me a lot of intestinal discomfort. And that was the first that I really was um, kind of connected like, hey, I ate something. And then I had this symptom. But guess what? I was, um, you know, I fell prey to that where it's healthy to have this fiber toast, you know, it's not white bread. It's toast with extra fiber in it and it's, it's not processed or whatever, but guess what? It wasn't right for me. And I did that for many years. So like, I would say probably from when I was your age, 
till senior year. So 15 to 17 years um, old, I ate a lot of that fiber toast and I had a lot of discomfort. Then I went off to college, got the fiber toast, you know, <laughs> back to like yeah. junk food and more refined stuff that I didn't really have too much problems with. I kind of just forgot about it. So that was probably where I, I probably had the first manifestations of the disease looking back at it. Um, the other interesting point in timeline in my life was again, when I was like lifting weights, this was before I started triathlons. I was probably 20, about 28. And I got, after I was kind of like done, um, knew I was going to stop lifting weights primarily as like my main focus for, for a hobby. I wanted to like lean out or like lose, uh, get in shape basically. So, um, trim up and the, a lot of times bodybuilders follow this diet where, or some of them say like no milk, uh, no dairy products and no wheat products because it kind of like, um, again, a lot of this can, lend itself to bloating and different things. And I was in the bodybuilding and it was kind of like, okay, I'll follow their, uh, getting in shape diet, their cutting routine. And guess what? I felt really great at that time. And I, I didn't have any wheat during probably like 15 weeks of dieting. Um, and you know, I thought it was just maybe like, oh, well you're eating more vegetables and stuff like that. But it was probably that in combination with um, not having wheat too. So that was that. And then obviously with the um, biopsy um, right before I switched to the celiac diet where um, I was trying, I was still eating a lot of wheat. And it was, again, I think just because I was in sh um, coming off the Ironman and being in shape where um, it, it was more of a transient thing. I didn't have too many problems, but um, then after switching to the diet, I could immediately tell that there was that low grade stuff going on. So um, it's just interesting. Again, it's like a lot of these things you don't realize until you like look in hindsight and kind of like say like, whoa, yeah, that's right. That's what I was dealing with. Um, I really didn't have to be, um, but you're glad to where you're where you're at after you get that diagnosis or, or the right thing to do for yourself. So I'm happy that not happy that, um, you have the genetics for celiac disease that was mostly from me and not, not your mother. Um, but in, in a way, um, your diagnosis helped me get diagnosed sooner. So I appreciate that in, in that sense. So. Yeah. And, um, grandpa Mac, dad's dad mm -hmm. also has celiac disease. And if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure everyone who has celiac disease, except me, was silent or correct? Yes. So we have um, some of your cousins have adopted, um, or my mm -hmm. cousins have adopted um, a wheat-free diet, and their stomach issues have cleared up. So maybe they um, have something with celiac disease. Mm -hmm. And then um, your grandfather... My dad, he, I think he just knew the evidence. So this would be another, I mean, he was yeah. even older. I mean, this was about yeah. probably 10 years ago that he switched, um, you know, slowly. But now in the last five years, he's, he's pretty much um, gluten-free. 
and uh, he obviously um, feels a lot better, I think, which is why he's continuing with that diet. Yeah. Well, we will now take a short break. Here's a word from our sponsors. Dalton's Cakes. They have custom cakes, gluten-free pastries, cookies, and specialty diet products. They're on 970 Harris Road, Grays Lake. Check them out if you have any allergies because they can be accommodated at Dalton's Cakes. I've had so many delicious sweet treats from there and it is the only bakery I've successfully eaten from. We're back. So dad, you experience less stomach pain when you stop eating gluten. But right. what happens to you now when you accidentally eat gluten? Whether that be cross-contamination or an unfortunate mistake. Right. I know that we've always, like, um, with you, you're more, like, always, we're hoping that when you, if accidents do happen, yes. um, especially if you go to some, even the, the best restaurant, you, you <laughs> kind of take a risk. Yeah. So we're always hoping that if, um, with how, how drastic or um, the symptoms you get, that they would be like a little bit better over time. But it seems mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of like the characteristics that you have, you kind of like carry with you, kind of stay the same your whole life. So you might always have to be very careful to, mm -hmm. of ingesting even small amounts accidentally. I thought, and I'll admit, like, you know, my ego kind of got the best of me because I would probably be categorized under the silent celiac where, again, I mean, um, there was times where, yeah, I do feel better. I mean, I, I felt, um, I, I feel better eating uh, the right diet today, but there was times for sure where I was still eating a lot of wheat and you know, I, I was doing okay. So mm -hmm. they kind of term that silent celiac where you can still be ingesting a lot of wheat products and, and function kind of okay. Um, so I thought that would be the same way for me. Um, and I've, you know, I've had instances where I do have like certain foods, like one of the ones that has a low amount of wheat would be soy sauce. So mm -hmm. when I go to a Chinese restaurant, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm okay with having regular soy sauce. It's it has a small amount. Um, it doesn't really have wheat protein, but it's extracted and might have like a, a very low amount of it. They can't say it's gluten free. So um, I've been okay with that. Um, so I always thought that would be the same way um, until about two weeks ago. So then um, I ordered a Mexican takeout, which was um, after one of your dance competitions. And I was like, I haven't had this for two years. So something I don't usually order. So you don't clarify. And this is where the mistake happened. I ordered um, enchiladas. And it ended up having three flour tortillas instead of three corn tortillas. Um, a day a day later, it really felt like I had the flu, and um, it lasted for about forty eight hours. So I know that when you ingest a substantial amount, that my body has now like officially, you know, it was like a shock to the system. So maybe not as as overt or as as your symptoms, but it's definitely enough to make me uh, have pause and realize that, hey, I don't want to like accidentally do this. Um, so it's, uh, 
yeah, I want to avoid that. And I, you know, in a way I'm, <laughs> you kind of like the silver lining is I'm glad that happened because that just make me more conscientious in the future instead of like thinking like, oh yeah, I'm kind of no big deal. Silent celiac, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, what's a little stomach ache for a while. It's, it's, it's much more than that. Um, and, um, I'm going to, I'm going to learn, learn the lesson from that. And you mentioned that you had symptoms for 48 hours, mm -hmm. but isn't there additional stuff that you may not know what's going on or you may not notice? Uh, it? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I mentioned this before um, that, that jogged my memory. So there's one of the other symptoms too, that I, I know for sure that I, I had back uh, when I was eating wheat was like brain fog. And this is something that this is one of the unfortunate, there's two things. One is like, yeah, I, the symptoms of like, oh yeah, I have uh, bad stomach cramps or I feel like I have the flu, you know, that's over in 24, 48 hours. But um, unfortunately it's, since it's an autoimmune disease, what a lot of times happens is that your body like produces, has produced those antibodies that attacks um, the wheat, but they're still around. And then that can cause inflammation for your small intestines, which can um, change the way the intestines absorbs things, the villi of the intestines. And that just doesn't, that takes longer than 48 hours to, to correct itself. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes depending on the insult, I mean, it might take anywhere from a couple weeks to, you know, a couple months to repair itself or like the immune system to kind of like back down, back off of the situation. Um, and then the other thing is that um, there are some people who are very susceptible to that symptom of brain fog. And I don't think the science that we don't really understand the scientific community doesn't understand all the things connected with that, but that is actually um, the brain fog can be connected to like, if you were to not um, be diagnosed with, if you had celiac disease and, and you didn't have the diagnosis, that brain fog that you chronically got for those susceptible people, it's actually a form of brain damage. So um, again, it's like you're just precipitating stuff that's not good for your body um, in the long term. So yeah, that's a good point. There's things that this don't um, correct itself in 24 hours. There's some stuff that lasts maybe some weeks. Um, maybe at the most a month, if, if it was like a short episode or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, you want to avoid that. So, yeah. So there is long-term effects Definitely. when ingesting gluten. How about you, Dan? I know myself, I experienced nausea and migraines. It's really unfortunate whenever I get gluten, it's so annoying. Um, I get headaches. Um, my ability to focus is uh, bad. Um, I get really bad brain fog. And symptoms like these and many more can appear at any age, from early age to adulthood. Eating gluten-free changes the way you eat and the choices you make. Due to busy lifestyles, eating out, and the use of packaged foods, it is common for gluten to find its way into an American diet, but there is a number, increasing number of gluten-free products that are becoming available. Are there any other thoughts before we end? 
Yeah, I guess I just wanted to, it's another basic principle. And you just brought up the point of um, why I'm bringing this up is that, um, again, the, the gluten-free options, again, the yeah. disease, if you just avoid gluten, there's still so many choices out there. And there's this, mm -hmm. each day there's more and more. It's more of like a, a regular, like you wouldn't even, there, there's nothing you're really missing. They're, um, they have all these um, wild choices from yeah. you know, dessert. So along those lines, um, I just wanted to, I think the adage, um, you know, the mother's adage of um, take everything in moderation. So even when you're eating, when we're eating gluten-free, it's just good to say that the best thing probably is to eat moderately. And what does that mean? Probably, um, I have a good rule that seems to, um, and a lot of other um, people where you still want to enjoy, enjoy, enjoy yourself now and then. But if you eat like 80, 90% of your diet is just good food. And again, that's the part that you listen to what your body needs. Um, and then obviously you want to enjoy it. Eating is a social thing. It's yes. supposed to be, there's traditions with it. it it's a time where you have uh, experiences and um, furthering relationships with the people that are important to you. So it's part of enjoying yourself. So obviously, you know, if, if you just have, you know, that dessert or, or, or extra stuff, you know, 10, 10, 20% of the time, I think you'll find that overall you're, you, that's the best thing and you're going to stay very healthy. So you can even overdo it with, with crazy stuff on a, on a gluten-free diet because mm -hmm. today we know there's a lot of good food out there that yeah. you can like end up eating too much of and then get a stomachache with, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> for sure. Thank you, Dad and Dan, for taking the time to chat with the GF Jenna audience. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the GF Jenna podcast. If you love the GF Jenna podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe. It's very much appreciated. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode where we'll be talking about the struggles of achieving a truly gluten-free diet with a surprise guest. Until next time.